welcome to another episode of Horror 4H, Strange Occurrences. I was hoping that maybe there'd be more feedback on the strange case of Bernadette Peters, and then I realized I don't need feedback to make more content. I really liked doing that odd twist on true crime, and I decided I wanted to do more. So I am! Please remember that while strange occurrences are done in a manner similar to YouTube series and podcasts about true crime, they are not real. These events have not happened, to my knowledge, to anyone at any point. Any similarities between any people portrayed here and any people who have existed is coincidental and, frankly, pretty amazing, because I pulled these out of my ass. None of what you are about to hear is real. This episode will deal with existential dread and involve a missing woman and child and mental illness regarding delusions. If these subjects aren't something you prefer to hear, then you should turn off this episode now. As with all strange occurrences, all music save for the opening theme, which was written and performed by yours truly, was written and provided free of charge by amazing composer-performer Kevin McLeod. So sit back, have a hard time relaxing, and remember that this world can change at any time. Without any further ado, I give you the strange occurrence of Hank Jeremiah Johnson. To begin this strange occurrence, I want to give you just the facts as they are verifiable. Hank Jeremiah Johnson was born on January 7th, 1951, in a hospital in Abernathy, Indiana, to parents John Robert Johnson and Rebecca Luann Johnson. He was recorded as being a healthy baby at 20 inches long and 7 pounds 9 ounces. He mostly got C's in school, with some B's and the occasional D. He won his class spelling bee in 5th grade, and as a high schooler he participated in his school's track and field team. He set a school record that held for over a decade after he graduated James Dennis High School in a mile run event. After high school, he began working at his family's carpet business alongside his father and grandfather. As an unmarried man with no college education, he was eligible for and was eventually drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. He spent nearly two full years in country with the U.S. Marines and received a Purple Heart for a shrapnel injury that almost left him without his right eye. He would carry a scar near his right temple for the rest of his life, after a grenade went off while on patrol supporting U.S. efforts near the Mekong River. He returned to the United States in 1973 and enrolled in Tehran University a few hours from Abernathy under the GI Bill and went on to earn his bachelor's degree in chemistry. He moved back to Abernathy after graduation and got employment with Garden Pharmaceuticals who had a small office near Abernathy. He lived a fairly unremarkable but fulfilling and pleasant life until 1991. On the morning of November 2, 1991, Hank Johnson woke up to find his wife Deborah and their 13-year-old daughter Gloria both missing from their home. Hank's first thought upon finding them both gone was that perhaps he had overslept and Deb, as he usually called her, had taken Gloria to school by herself. Indeed, he had slept in almost an hour, and so he wasn't surprised at all to find her car gone. He hurriedly got himself to work. He hadn't ever really formed any deep friendships with the rest of his co-workers, but knew them well enough to greet most of them and hold some small talk. He later said during an interview that he remembered mentioning how he got scared when he couldn't find his wife and child that morning, and that the co-worker he'd said it to had laughed, which he'd found odd, but assumed the laugh had been nervous and carried on as usual. When he got home that night, he was slightly alarmed to not see his wife's car in the driveway. He entered the house to find it dark and seemingly empty. He hoped maybe Deb had gone to the store to get whatever she needed to make dinner, and simply hadn't arrived back home yet. He called out for Gloria, but got no response. He sat down to watch TV, but after several minutes, he said he'd had a nagging feeling in the back of his head that something was very wrong, and so he went to his daughter's bedroom to check to see if maybe she hadn't heard him. To his horror and surprise, the room was empty of furniture. No bed, dresser, desk, or anything that he would recognize as his daughter's belongings. Instead, 
the room was decorated as if it had meant to be a sitting room, but had turned into a small storage room instead, with junk and boxes lying around. He then raced to his bedroom to use the phone, and as he entered he realized the room had had a different decor than he was used to. No longer did it have pictures of him and Deb and Gloria, or Deb's fashion sense, but instead was the standard browns and oranges and other common color schemes of the late 70s when it was constructed. He remembered pushing these thoughts out of his head and reaching for the phone anyways. He later recalled, It felt almost like a bad dream. I was thinking maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. My main concern was Deb and Gloria. I was hoping she'd just taken Gloria to her mom's place down in Georgia. Maybe she was just unhappy in the marriage. Not that I thought she was, but I guess maybe if she was, I wouldn't have known. I don't know. I was just hoping they were okay. He dialed her mother's number but found it to not be a working number. After several more attempts, he called his own parents. He told them about how when he'd woken up, Deborah and Gloria were both missing, and how they still weren't back yet, despite it pushing six o'clock, and now he'd just try to get in touch with Deborah's mother, but reached no one. His mother seemed very disturbed and concerned and told her son to wait there and that his father would be there soon. She later recalled, he seemed so genuinely upset, he was on the verge of tears, and you have to understand Hank. Hank didn't cry. I remember when he broke his finger when he was eight years old. Boy didn't shed a tear. And after he came back from Vietnam, he was even more inside himself. So to hear him so emotional like that put me in a fright. I had John drive over there. He lived just across town, maybe five to ten minutes away. He wasn't making any sense by the time he told me what was wrong, so I just told John to get there right away and check on him. John Johnson arrived at his son's house shortly after Hank had called. He found what Hank had said he'd found, that the decor was what it currently was and not what Hank had thought it had been, and that Gloria's room was a storage room. The thing was, this was as John had known it since his son had purchased it. According to John and Rebecca Johnson, and indeed to the rest of the world at large, Deborah Johnson and Gloria Johnson had never existed. The rest of the night was a blur for Hank. His father tried to calm him down, but he began to become irate and even more confused upon hearing that his father didn't recognize the name of his own daughter-in-law and grandchild. John finally convinced Hank to let him drive him to the nearest hospital where a doctor conducted an examination. Eventually they had to sedate Hank as he had become unruly and attempted multiple times to leave against medical advice and was threatening violence to anyone who stopped him. While under sedation, a CT and MRI were ordered, but upon seeing his service record and shrapnel injury, an x-ray was done instead, along with a physical examination. No fresh head wound or anything else outside of the ordinary was found during the physical exam, but the x-ray showed some shrapnel lodged fairly deep inside Hank's skull, left over from the grenade. Doctors began to operate under the assumption that his shrapnel had caused inflammation or other damage, and that had led to a sudden onset of delusional thinking and admitted Hank and kept him sedated and restrained. Both of Hank's parents stayed with him during this hospital stay. While at the hospital awaiting a plan of action, Hank refused to believe those around him, demanding someone find Deborah and Gloria. He was very convincing, John remembered. He had such vivid details of the wedding and the birth of Gloria. It was hard to believe something like that could be caused by a 20-year-old injury. I felt so bad for him. He really, truly believed those women existed. Psychiatrists were called in along with neurosurgeons to consult on Hank's case. Dr. Camlin Onkar, a psychiatrist, wrote in his notes that Hank was one of the more intense cases of delusional thinking he'd ever seen. Hank could recite details of his life with Deborah and Gloria that made them seem quite true. One of the notes in the case said that, quote, If the facts did not support the exact opposite, any reasonable person would assume Hank's wife and child were not delusions at all and were living, breathing humans who had gone missing. 
I couldn't spend longer than 10 or 20 minutes with the man lest I started to believe in myself. He was that convincing." End quote. After more x-rays and CTs, the doctors had a plan to remove the shrapnel. Hank vehemently refused any treatment, constantly arguing instead that the police should be out looking for his missing wife and child. Eventually, Hank's medical care was turned over to his parents, who followed doctors' recommendations, and within two months of his hospitalization, Hank Johnson went in for brain surgery. The surgery went exceedingly well, and every bit of the shrapnel was removed from Hank's skull and brain. Notably, the surgeons who performed the operation said that his brain seemed to be in perfect working order, with no signs of long-term trauma or inflammation, and that the shrapnel had seemingly barely pierced through the skull, and that the worst they would have normally expected from such an injury would have been headaches or migraines, both of which Hank did suffer from on a semi-regular basis, but not enough to ever seek medical treatment for. After he awoke from surgery, Hank's first request was to see his wife. He was told again that both his wife and daughter had never existed, and afterwards, Hank seemed to go into a voluntary nonverbal state and refused visitors. His physical recovery went well, and within days he was walking and eating normally, but instead of being discharged, he was transferred further south in the state to Whitetail Psychiatric Facility. He remained nonverbal for weeks after, refusing to speak with doctors, nurses, psychiatrists, and others marking meal preferences and other things by writing and miming. When asked if he could speak, he would nod his head, indicating his nonverbal state was fully voluntary and not caused by the surgery or delusions or medications. Since he still refused to believe that his wife and daughter were delusions, he was placed on antipsychotics, which he initially refused to take and was eventually forced to receive. Two months later, Hank spoke his first words since the recovery room. He asked when he could go home. In the following days, Hank told the doctors he believed them, and that he had just needed time to recover from such a strong delusion, and that he knew neither Deborah nor Gloria had been real, and that he just wanted to go home to resume his life. His parents visited him, and he told them the same thing, much to their relief. Within another week, he was released and given the medication to continue taking, and his mother stayed with him for several days to help with his continued recovery and readjustment to his life. She did note later that at times he would stop whatever task he was doing at his home and just sort of stare off into space and smile slightly, or his face would drop a bit and he would appear sad, before he would resume the task and continue on normally. She assumed this was related to the medication or the recovery from surgery. He had been placed on leave from his job and after being home again for a few days managed to get back to work, though his duties had changed slightly as the company didn't want to risk Hank being around potentially dangerous chemicals after such a traumatic event and given his shaky relation with reality. However, after two more months of his typical performance, he was given his old job back and settled into his normal routine with his mother heading back home as well. Co-workers during this time noted that even though Hank had never been exceedingly chatty before his surgery, afterwards he was even more reserved and keeping to himself, which they attributed to the recent events. Within the next two years, Hank sold his home and moved into a small apartment nearby and sold his car and downgraded to a different, cheaper model. His family and friends note that during this time, he was even more reserved than he previously had been, and records from the VA show he continued his medication and reported no more headaches or migraines during this time. By all outward appearances, Hank Johnson had accepted reality and moved on with his life. In private, though, Hank never truly believed what others had told him. He sold his home and his car to pay for private investigators to try to find Deborah and Gloria, or any trace either of them had ever existed. These things weren't known until after Hank's death, but records he kept showed that he did spend a small fortune trying to track down two people who, for all intents and purposes, didn't ever exist. You may be asking yourself why this case was noteworthy for strange occurrences. 
while a man suffering from a sudden onset of delusional thinking due to traumatic brain injury sustained during service to his country is a tragedy, and not even an isolated one, as many veterans have suffered from mental illnesses and other horrible things after returning home from their service. It is not necessarily strange in the same way as other cases presented on this program in the past or planned cases for the future. This would be a fair question, and I'd answer it first by stating that there is another angle to this case that is often left out when it is examined, that angle being Garden Pharmaceuticals. Hank's work with the company had never been fully disclosed, but his own personal records state that he worked with numerous dangerous chemicals, some of which have been shown to cause brain damage when handled improperly or with repeated exposure. Perhaps years of working at the company may have caused these delusions or exacerbated the injury he received in Vietnam. Shortly before his death in 2009, Garden Pharmaceuticals was subject to a federal investigation triggered by a whistleblower, and while the records of the case have been largely kept out of the public eye, all available court documents show that the investigation was in relation to safety protocols being categorically ignored across the board at the company. It is within reason to assume Hank, the same as nearly a hundred other employees, was subjected to unsafe handling of chemicals that led to his life being a living hell. Numerous other employees settled out of court about a variety of injuries during and after the investigation as well, as several in the years leading up to the investigation, some of which were related to mental issues. But those records are mostly sealed, and strange occurrences could not secure any interviews with the complainants. However, what we did secure here at Strange Occurrences was a copy of the bulk of the material Hank kept from his private investigators, most of which was similar in their lack of evidence that Deborah or Gloria Johnson ever existed. One piece of evidence that is almost always ignored by anyone questioning this case, though, was the statement of one Miss Scarlett Upton. She was a resident of Abernathy and had been since birth. When given the descriptions of Deborah and Gloria Johnson, Miss Upton recognized the pair. While this could normally be brushed off as a simple case of mistaken identity, it is worth noting that Deborah and Gloria Johnson would have stood out in Abernathy, Indiana, especially in the 70s and 80s. Hank Johnson was, as roughly 99% of the rest of the town, white. Deborah was black, and Glory was described as quote-unquote obviously mixed, according to Hank. Abernathy, Indiana at the time, when Hank said he married Deborah and had Gloria, had a demographic makeup of roughly 99% white, with the remaining 1% split between those of Asian ancestry and a singular black family. The town itself only had 8,000 residents. Anyone matching Deborah and Gloria's description would have been very noteworthy in the town, which makes Miss Upton's insistence that she had seen the pair all the more interesting. She was questioned in early 1998, and said she remembered the pair vividly in 1987, as she and a date had been leaving the film Three Men and a Baby at a movie theater near Abernathy. She told the private investigator that she remembered Deborah and Gloria and Hank all leaving the film together, and that Deborah had been wearing a striking red hat and white dress with red floral prints. She remembers this vividly because she said she approached the trio, but Hank had left the pair alone to go fetch the car. She greeted Deborah and inquired about the outfit and struck up a small conversation during which Gloria had wanted to go back inside to get candy. The outfit had been ordered via the J.C. Penny catalog. Miss Upton had even offered to show the private investigator the dress and hat which she had ordered and still had in her own closet. Miss Upton herself is a bit of a mystery though, as no one by her name could be located again after the interview and it is unclear as to how the private investigator found her in the first place. There is a speculation that perhaps the investigator conjured Miss Upton out of nowhere to continue his own investigation so that he could keep charging Hank a fee. However, shortly after this supposed break in the case, the investigator actually terminated his relationship with Hank Johnson. 
The investigator, a James Wilson Hadro, is his own strange case. He went missing shortly after he stopped working for Hank Johnson, and all of his own personal notes and casework were destroyed in a fire around the same time. The police and fire investigation of said fire determined it to be arson, but no one was ever charged in a crime, and thankfully no one was hurt during it, as it seemed to be contained to his apartment. These odd facts are compounded when you look at Hank's passing. In mid-November of 2009, Hank Johnson was found dead in his apartment from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The investigation into his death was short, and no one questioned the results as both his parents had passed a few years before, and there was no other family, and by that point in time, Hank had few people who would call themselves his friend. However, the police report on his death has a few inconsistencies with the official story and obituary. First and foremost is that while it was conjectured that Hank had killed himself using a weapon, likely a service pistol he had kept from his days in the military, no weapon was found at the scene. The autopsy was also incomplete, with several details missing including any powder test of his fingers. Also notable is that the bullet wound was at what would be considered a very odd angle to have been self-inflicted. However, his apartment was seemingly untouched and there was zero evidence of a break-in or robbery. In his will, Hank Johnson declared that all of his possessions and money should be kept in storage and in an account to be given to anyone who could prove the existence of, or that they were, Deborah or Gloria Johnson. In his personal effects that were later lost, there was a note that he had left as well. In it, he stated that in recent months he believed he was being followed, and that he believed he was getting close to finding Gloria, and that he believed Deborah had passed on at some point. He had stopped being able to afford private investigators, and had been working the case himself, but any other information he had uncovered was not found among his effects. Officially, Deborah and Gloria Johnson, wife and daughter of Hank Jeremiah Johnson, never existed. There is no record of their birth, marriage, or death. But these things didn't stop Hank Johnson from believing that they did. These things also cannot be easily reconciled with the statement of Scarlett Upton, nor with the strange end of Mr. Johnson. There are many theories, from him simply being a victim of circumstance, military service, and pharmaceutical negligence, to him being the subject of a secret government experiment, to even aliens being mentioned in certain circles. What is sure, though, is that the strange occurrence of Hank Jeremiah Johnson remains to this day unsolved.